Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Husmo Black Forum. Here we do it bigger, we do it better, we do it longer, and out of necessity, we'll do it louder than anyone out here. So relax. Here's your host, Husmo Black. November, November 5th, 2016. Welcome to the Hushman Black Forum. We uh, come to you live and in living color every Saturday from 7 to 9 over Blog Talk Radio uh, from the ATL. Uh, if you want to you know, welcome to the Hushman Black Forum. We've got a great, great uh, show for you this evening. We uh, we advocate. This is what we do out here on the National Black Forum. We advocate for social justice on behalf of Americans of African descent. Not because we don't love everybody. We we do love everybody. Uh, just uh, by extension, we find ourselves advocating for that uh, for that uh, community. And Lord knows we need all the uh, advocacy we can get this close to this uh, presidential race coming up. Uh, in three days. If you all haven't registered, please. <coughs> if you haven't, uh, well, it's too late to register, but please get out and vote. Everybody needs to get out and vote Tuesday, November 8th. You know, this is critical. This is the most uh, critical election of my life, today. no doubt. And I say that with all uh, sincerity. Uh, this is the most critical election that I've uh, that I've uh, witnessed in my lifetime and I've witnessed a lot you know. when I came to this world uh, FDR was the president so you know how long ago so if you want to date the Hushmo FDR Franklin Adelina Roosevelt was president when I arrived uh, in this in this world, it's important y'all get out and vote. Uh, can't nobody afford to stay home. Can't nobody afford to stay home this election. Everybody has to get out and exercise their uh, right, the right to participate in the uh, political process. People have died for. Um, on our behalf to have that uh, right to vote. We we can't uh, let them down. We've got to get out and vote of this uh, presidential election. Right now it's a Tulsa. Right now that election is a Tulsa, y'all. And that should scare the average voter in this country to death, knowing that three days before this election, this election is a Tulsa. There's only one qualified candidate running for president, and that's uh, Hillary Clinton. You know, I, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that without uh, any bias at all, she's the only qualified candidate to be president. Nobody else uh, in the race is even close. 
No one else in the race is even close, yeah. No one else is even close. And I'm, you know, a neutral uh, observer in this thing. I'm a neutral observer in this thing, yeah. But as long as one qualified candidate, you're running for president. That's on the ballot. Not this year. And that is Hillary Clinton. That's, hey, that's just the way it is, huh? That's just the way it is. Hey, I'm on this to do it bigger, to do it better, to do it longer. And out of necessity, sometimes we'll do it louder than anybody out there on Blog Talk. Yeah. We, we really don't like to get loud. We like to keep everything on an even keel. Kind of somewhere in the middle, you know. We sometimes you have to crank the volume up to uh, get your uh, uh, to get your two cents worth in to join in on the conversation. And right now, that the noise is loud. The noise out there is awful loud, you know. <laughs> we we have to crank the volume up every once in a while just to. Uh, just to get our two cents in, and we 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 don't mind we don't mind uh, cranking it up uh, time to time. We they got free call in the last little black form one eight 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 five eight eight three eight one four. That's free call in the national black form. You got me national driving this train this evening. This year is just about gone, y'all. We're in November already. Thanksgiving's coming up. Time go back tonight. Do the time go back? What does it do? Fall back and spring forward. So, yeah, you got to set your clocks back before you go to sleep tonight. Wake up tomorrow and be done lost an hour. So set your clocks back. Your smartphones and your computers, for the most part, automatically adjust to uh, adjust the time for you. But all your clocks you got hanging on the wall, you check them and set them back tonight. Before you go to sleep, because, you know, you're going to lose an hour. I don't know what's going on. Uh, in fact, I don't even know what daylight saves and all that stuff it, uh, uh, is about. I would have something to do with the farmers, uh, the cows going to sleep, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, anybody know what daylight uh, saving Sam uh, is about? Yeah, something to do with farming. I'm getting something about uh, needing another hour of daylight. Although, I don't know. I don't think it, I don't believe it ever changes. I mean, I don't think it ever changes. There's a guy trying to mark a ball in a golf tournament. He's trying to place it down. The thing keep rolling. The thing keep rolling. I don't know what he's going to do. I know one thing. He uses a Nike ball that he ain't going to be using for much longer.
using the Nike ball. He was using a stroke because he was in the water, I believe. If that ball started rolling, they keep walking around there. What's going to happen, y'all? Anybody know? Hey, the high school just uh, marking uh, this golf this golf tournament going on out in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, we we multitask around here. We we gonna get, we gonna and we feel we can multitask. <sighs> you better hear them put that ball before it started rolling. Made the sound have a tremor out there and the ground started moving. Yeah, good fact, but you, you still got some work to do, son. Oh, you got some work to do coming back. You got quite a bit of work to do coming back. I don't know, y'all. We uh, been trying to keep up with the presidential election since the FBI came out with this uh, letter talking about uh, nothing, trying to influence uh, the election. Somebody needs to be fired. Somebody needs to be fired. You know, we got to fire them. If I'm the president, you can't fire the FBI election, but I'm asking for uh, I'm going to ask him for his. Uh, I'm not going to ask for the nation to become a president. Now, he can stay around until uh, the next president comes come aboard, but uh, I'm going to put him in the closet. I'm going to put him in the closet and lock the door. James Comey, I'm going to put him in the closet and lock the door. That guy's doing the work of the Attorney General by coming out to uh, make all these pronouncements. Uh, about what he's working on and, and things like that. That is not the FBI's uh, director's job. The FBI's director's job is to investigate and uh, make recommendations to uh, the Attorney General as to uh, 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 what she will do about it. Because the FBI is just the, uh, 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 the police arm that. Uh, Justice Department. They're not the uh, one that uh, bring the charges and try a case or even make public statements to referencing uh, cases in the, the whatnot. Justice is all the Attorney General, not the FBI director. Like that work for the Attorney General in the uh, biggest scheme of things. You know. Ain't nobody firing him. If I'm the president, I can put him in a closet. I put him in a closet and I can stay there until his term was up. And we'll let him out. 
I put him in the closet and won't let him out until his tenure term was up. If he didn't want to give his resignation, hey, if I rule the world, <laughs> I could be president. Uh, I, I, uh, I could be president. I could be president. Well, he's eight of them, but he can uh, make up eight shots all of a sudden. Talking about uh, Harold Varner the third, young black dude on the PGA. This is the second year, starting the second year. He uh, got me over a million dollars up there last year, you know, in his rookie year. So this guy, you know, he he he's going to win a tournament or two. He's going to make a ton of money out there on that uh, PGA tour. Oh, he's going to make a ton of money because he, he hit the ball 300 plus yards. He was averaging 328. For the sermon out there in Vegas, he's six hundred, six hundred going into the fourth round. That ain't that ain't bad place to be. He shoots sixty, six sixty seven, get the ten, twelve under. He can have a big payday tomorrow. Yeah, shot sixty seven the first round. He can shoot. Oh, he can go low. He got he got to take spend a little bit. Got to take his equipment up a little bit. Other than that, you got to have a solid game, you know. Hit the ball a mile. So he can hang with the long hitters. He's been, problem right now is this putt. He's missing too many four or five foot putts. That's the, only, that's the real weak, weak, weakness in his game that I see. The actual role is about 25 foot of a birdie the other day. If I can do it, I know he can do it. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to roll with you when it comes to that photo of a birdie, and I'll take that right now. I did the other day. Roll with 25 foot in. And, uh, I, uh, my game was. I was in the ball pretty good the other day. Yeah, I was in the ball pretty good. I was shoot, I rolled in. I rolled in a couple of good putts. Hit the drive, hit the trailer here. I think I, I don't think I missed the driveway all day. I may have missed one. Yeah, I hit the ball in the tree. I missed like one fairway. I don't hit the ball that far. No, no, my my long game is <laughs> is not existent. I tell you that I don't have no long game. You know? I uh, but uh, I'm pretty good around the green. Yeah, but just hitting the ball out there. My thing now is just trying to keep it straight. Just trying to hit the ball in the fairway and make it a, a pretty decent second shot out of the fairway into the green. If I can do that, I ain't got to hit it that far. I'm going to the ball straight. If I make a solid contact, hit the ball 200 yards off the tee, another 150 or so yards with my second shot, I'm going to be right in the game with, the, with the, my peers that I play with. If I hit the ball 200 yards and another 150 with my second shot, I would 
I'm gonna be running the game now. I'm gonna be running the game. That means I'm gonna be on most screens in three. I'm gonna get on most screens in three shots, and I either got a cut on par four, or I'm on. I got a bird for but uh, on the par five. That's what I'm looking at. There wasn't a while I get on the par five and two. Part four and two. I like I did the other day that bird that twenty five foot I got on that part four and two. See what's I do with But now I ain't looking for no more distance. All I'm looking for is consistent. Consistency. Hitting the ball in the in the fairway, two hundred yards or so off the off the off the tee, and then another hundred and fifty yards or so with my second shot. Regardless of what the second shot is, I don't care if I'm playing part four or part five. Is 150 yards. If I'm within 170 yards from a 670 to 180 yards with my second shot on part four, I'll try to go for it. I'll try to get it there. I sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I've got to make a second, uh, a good second shot. It's got to be straight. Peter Garrett said, "It all sounds good." Yeah, it sounds good. Well, I'll talk a pretty good game of golf. I thought a pretty good game. I, I thought, you know, like most of the uh, amateurs, you know, try to come, uh, uh, carry that talk game onto the uh, course. I thought a good game. I, I, I always talk a good game. Your attempt was. I want to say uh, congratulations to the Chicago Club Cubs for winning the World Series. Uh, I got to congratulate them. They're not my team, but uh, a couple of players next day was one of my favorite players. He uh, came up in Atlanta, played for the Braves. Uh, didn't do too much with the bat this year, but I thought he was a player. Uh, he needed to go. I have a little session with uh, Barry Bonds. Uh, to get his bat right, because I don't know what I'm doing. He got hit in the head with a ball about three or four years ago. He ain't attacked that big ball since then, not right. His man said, his man said, going up to the plate is not right. First of all, you're talking about his singles hitter. This guy, 6'5", 250 pounds, uh, strong as an ox. Hey, you ain't no singles hitter, Jason. You are not a single hitter. You can be 6'5", 250, with power uh, to spare. You are not a single hitter. First of all, you raise that out of your mindset. You're not a single hitter. You're a power hitter. I don't care what you strike out of what. You are a power hitter. You are not a single hitter. You're supposed to be going up there with the intent of smashing that ball. Your main focus should be on smashing that ball. Get that single stuff out of your uh, uh, mind. You too big. You too big and strong for that. He did that. He did a little session with uh, Barry Bonds from the Chicago Cubs. I'm going to hire Barry out just to work on Jason Haywood for about a month, for a good month over the winter. A solid month. With Jason in the batting cage every day, I'm going to get Barry Bonds straight in the mouth. That's all he needs to do. Shoot. 
from somebody in a state. I said, you ain't used to five, that 250 pounds. You just never seen on something. Facebook friend, what's up? Anybody know anything about baseball out there? Call the hush ball, 1-888-588-3814. And, <laughs> hey, y'all, uh, so if we call that to the hush ball black forum, we, we, we just having some fun. I want to congratulate the Chicago Cubs and the Cleveland Indians. Cleveland Indians, uh, in my, was, was one of my teams. I was rooting for them in the series. But I came up in the youngster room for the Indians. They won nothing since 1948, you yeah. know. So they they dropped themselves because it was the first World Series that the Chicago Cubs won uh, in 108 years, yeah. 108 years since 1908. Get old Rose Gold's president when the last time they won a World Series. Yeah. So <laughs> they had 5 million people lined the street up there in Chattown yesterday. Yeah, I can't. You gotta be. You gotta feel good for the Cubs. They waited a long time for this. A hundred and eight years without a, a darn rain. Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks is one of the best players ever. Laser prepared spikes, yeah. Played that 20 years, ain't more than nothing. Billy Williams. Ronald Santos. They had some great players up there. Ferguson Jenkins. They, they've had some great, great players. They were their first World Series win. In a hundred and eight years. They won back in 1908. Well, that shooting is Joe Jackson. <laughs> Well, the Shoeless Joe Jackson play with them. Anybody know who the Shoeless Joe Jackson play for? I, I don't know. I, <laughs> did he play for the Cubs? They ain't won in a long time, y'all. Yeah. I don't know who Shoeless Joe Jackson played for. I mean, don't stop me in the line. Somebody said, no. I'm not somebody in the female yard, so you know they don't know. Somebody screaming out from the peanut yard just in some kind of car. You know what you're talking about, son. Shut up. I don't know. Uh, all I know is that uh, it's good to uh, it's good to uh, It'll be good to let's go to root for or to uh, feel good about the Chicago Cubs win. Chicago White Sox. I don't play the Chicago play for the White Sox. Banned from playing baseball after the 1926 season. He got caught up in the scandal. Banned out of the enemy somewhere in the dirt. That's probably also all the dirt crooks are. Well, we're talking about you. Come on, now. We're talking about now. Hold on, y'all. Don't, don't jump on the house, folks. We ain't talking about now. We're talking about back in Alpha Phone days. You know that's all the nation of the in Chicago? I didn't say that. That's the history says that. And not me. Don't, don't, don't get me in a hush, folks. I'm just 
reading what history uh, recorded. Anyway, yeah, she was still playing the thing with the white sock. Dr. Cubs. Cubs said they don't want no other to do with you, uh, Joe. I don't know if the guy has shoes, you know, anybody know? That was his nickname. Okay. But I thought she was still Jackson. I don't know if he had shoes or not. You know, everybody was poor back then. They fall for making nowhere near what they make enough. They, a lot of them they had a full-time job outside of baseball. Baseball is just something to do on Sunday. But now, uh, I do always like the Cubs. I know a lot of folks in Chicago are from Chicago. But uh, the first time they ever had a chance to celebrate a, uh, a champion. First time they ever had a chance to celebrate a champion. I don't know. They uh, was loaded with bats. That lineup, that struggle come down, was loaded with bats. Rizzo, uh, Brian, uh, Russell, uh, up and down that lineup. Uh, Swabber, Swabber, somebody ain't played all year. Boy, hit the ball like baby. Yeah. He's <laughs> Oh, he can't, he can't run. I don't even know if he can play the outfield. He looked like a American League player. But he was out with a broke leg all year. They brought him back for the playoffs. He wound up hitting 300 in the playoffs. These boys coming back here in this golf game, you know? They coming back in this golf game. They coming all the way back. It's going to be a new day starting tomorrow. We uh, got to study for a couple of tests. Uh, we got a psychology test coming up Monday and then a science test that uh, I've got to hit the books for. My last semester, I'll be graduating here uh, in December. Graduate, that's what I say. Hey, you know I'm back in school. Hey, you, hey, you know if you're old, you learn. You know if you're old, you learn. Now, if you think you are. If you think you're right, you might as well fold it up. You don't ever get too old to acquire knowledge. Oh, no. Yeah, I said about four players is going to run, run over here that Sunday. Ample. Ample. There's about four players going to run over here. He's 47 years old. He lived two rounds. That's as far as he can run. I'm going to go walk him down tomorrow, I'm afraid. What they got? They got eight million. Harold Burner, he's six. I'm not saying he can catch, but he'll just be. Four days are hard. Uh, 
a long time. When you're up in age playing that game. Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick pause from the calls here. We'll be right back. Y'all have a good day. Y'all Advocated on your behalf, you're listening to the Hushmore Black Forum. Tell your friends about us. Saturdays, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Right here in cyberspace.
draw so much from that uh, particular piece, will rise up or rise up this Andrew Day. You got to rise up this uh, new remake, you know, and vote. You can't, you can't get caught uh, asleep. We cannot get caught asleep this election day, y'all. Everybody head to the pole. If you need a ride, call Horsebook. 1-888-588-3814. Anybody need a ride to the polls in the Atlanta, Georgia area, get a Horsebook call. We'll get you there. I'm sure he won't get you there. Right now, sir, it's neck and neck in Georgia. There's a toss up in Georgia, you This election shouldn't be nowhere to hold you. I'm serious. This, this election shouldn't even be nowhere near close. You got <laughs> and it's just mind boggling that it is or that it would be of this close. We uh we know what a lot of it is, so uh, and just from my own uh From my own experience living in this country for the last 70 plus years, uh, racism. Racism playing a big, ugly part in this election, and it should, but it is in 2016. I hate to harp on it, but it is. Somebody said in that quote out of this book, uh, Race, Prejudice, and Discrimination. This book was written in 1950. I'm going to read a chapter. I'm going to read a few, few verses out of the book about racism. It says, the uh, book was written by uh, uh, Arnold Rose, Race, Prejudice, and Discrimination, 1950. Says, the challenge, of, the challenge of racism in this country does not come either from the organized hate groups or from our failure to develop an adequate climate of opinion with regard to prejudice and intolerance. The threat lies rather in the imperfections and shortcomings of our democratic system. For the security of Jews, as with all other groups, is inseparably bound with the strength of the democratic system. To the degree which a democracy is incomplete, that democracy is unsafe and insecure. That's to the degree to which a democracy is incomplete, that democracy is unsafe and insecure. 
And an unsafe and insecure democracy is potentially the greatest threat to minority groups in America. The imperfections of democracy are at all times a very serious affair. They are particularly serious in times of social crisis, for they then become the weak links in our social structure against which the attack on democracy is launched. They become the nuclei around which out of well, around which and out of which reaction and hatred begins to develop. Any examination of American democracy will immediately reveal that its most serious imperfections lie in those areas where considerations of race, color, creed, or national origin operate to deny to people their full and legitimate rights. Some years ago, someone profoundly remarked that fascism, fascism finds democracy vulnerable precisely where democracy ceases. Fascism, fascism, Y'all know what fascism is. That was Mussolini's uh, Italy and, uh, back in the between World War II and World War One, Fascism came and vote. It's a, this, this guy says that uh, fascism finds democracy vulnerable precisely where democracy ceases. In the United States, democracy too frequently has ceased at the boundaries of race, color, and creed. That's very. That is why demagogues and reactionaries have always selected these points as the most vulnerable against which to launch their attack on the democratic system. That is why these gaps must be plugged if we are to render ourselves secure against the challenge of racism and reaction. That's where we are today, you know. That is what Donald Trump is playing on. That is what he is playing on. In the United States, democracy too frequently has ceased at the boundaries of race, color, and creed. That's what democracy runs trouble here in this country because People of color, minorities in the society, often find themselves discriminated against in uh, uh, their American society. It's always been that way. It's always been that way since the country was formed in 1776. And that is the weakness, the glaring weakness in our democracy here in this country. Uh, it's a great, great system on paper. Democracy is one of the greatest systems in the world. The world never knows on paper. Where its weakness come into play is when 
democracy ceases at the boundaries of race, color, and creed. That break that uh, 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 solidarity uh, uh, within the, the society, because all everybody in society are not uh, have are, don't have uh, equal access to uh, of that democratic process. Now, if you got separate equal laws and all this craziness going on within the society, which was in place for some hundred years after the Civil War, that fractured uh, uh, the democracy. Uh, that broke uh, the strength of, uh, of that thing right there. You can't have uh, half the citizens uh, being discriminated against and talk about running around the rest of the world talking about how great your democracy is and have the people in chains. <laughs> you can't do it. Can't, it can't happen. And today, the ugly uh, facial racism is just front and center in our political uh, uh, process uh, today. In 2016, with this black president, it happened in 2008 with the election of Barack Obama as the first African American uh, president. That thing brought all kinds of uh, crazy out of the closet. And uh, it, uh, to the extent where you had a uh, majority uh, white Republican Congress refusing, refusing to work with this president to get any significant thing accomplished for uh, the country. Refusing to work with this president. Uh, and mainly, it was due to the color uh, of his skin. That's just a fact. Yeah. That's just a fact. That's not me trying to interject race or doing any any uh, such thing. That's just a fact of history. Miss McConnell, the day this guy took office, swore that he would do nothing, or he would work the rest of his term every day to see that uh, Barack Obama become a one-term president. This is 2009 when he got just get sworn in the office. Mr. McConnell, uh, Senate Majority Leader, swore her now that he would do anything to work with him and, did, and didn't. And didn't for the next eight years did everything in his power to uh, uh, make this guy a failed presidency. Didn't happen. This guy succeeded on the summer. Some odds, some counter-currents that no president has ever faced in that office of Barack Obama. He succeeded uh, with some headwinds uh, working against him like no other president had uh, to overcome. and did a great, great job. Uh, remember when he took over in 2009, uh, the country was losing 500,000 jobs a month. The country was losing five hundred thousand jobs a, a month, mired in uh, the financial disaster. Uh, at the same time, he let us through all of that. We're fighting three wars going on. Uh, he let us through all of that. You know? That guy has to uh, be commended for doing a hell of a job against a mountain, uh, a, a mountain of. Uh, uh, Opposition in the U.S. Congress, in the U.S. Congress at a time of war 
we had the United States Congress uh, uh, with the Republicans in charge doing everything they could to uh, uh, work against uh, this president. And they are uh, now talking about uh, working together and let's get together, let's get together. No, you had your chance for the last eight years to work with this president to get something done. And uh, uh, you showed your colors. You showed your colors. Uh, you showed your colors. Any examination of American democracy will immediately reveal that its most serious imperfections lie in those areas where considerations of race, color, creed, or national origin operate to deny two people their full and legitimate rights. That's racism, yeah. That 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 is the shortcoming of the American democracy that has been the shortcoming of, of America's democracy. That's a great system on paper, the greatest system in the world ever known, y'all. I'm not, you know, I'd be first to say. The greatest system the world has ever known is this republic, this republic of the United States of America on paper. That Constitution is one of the greatest documents ever written on paper. If only, if only all of its citizens had equal access to uh, that document. That wasn't the case, That wasn't the case. Uh-uh. And that is the problem with uh, this democracy up until this day. Uh, some of the same old uh, racism uh, is in play today. Oh, not on paper anymore. It's not on paper anymore. Although you can make the case, and I, you know, I can make the case that uh, some of the Republican state uh, uh, governments. Uh, with their uh, with their some of their actions uh, trying to suppress uh, the votes of uh, minorities in this country is a dangerous, dangerous uh, time in our uh, history. Yeah, that's a dangerous, dangerous time in our history when uh, uh, some of the Republican uh, state-led uh, governments are trying to uh, prevent uh, people from uh, exercising their voting uh, uh, right. That's denying them access to that uh, uh, Constitution. Yeah? If you deny me access to the voting uh, uh, ballot, you're denying me access to uh, the Constitution and the protection of the 14th uh, Amendment. Come on, yeah. That's what this thing is about. That's what that's what our democracy is about. That's what the fight uh, uh, in this uh, society is about. 
equal access to uh, the Republic, the Republican uh, uh, institutions here, equal access to the Constitution, equal protection under the 14th, 15th, and 13th Amendment. Equal access, nothing less, nothing more, equal. Uh, Don't don't come to me telling me uh, I can't do this, I can't have this, or I can't go here, I can't buy this, I can't do this. Uh Uh-uh, equal. Equal means uh, both sides of uh, the equation has got to be the same for everybody. The legal side over here and the social over here, we got to be equal through up and down uh, throughout the society. Throughout the society, yeah. And equality means equality under the law in the society. Period. If that ever fails to be the case, or when that ceases to be the case, then democracy uh, has a problem with uh, some of the other uh, uh, governments, like fascism, like Nazism, like communism, like all those isms. Uh, democracy becomes vulnerable uh, to those uh, things. That following piece, by the way, was written by a Jewish fellow by the name of um, David Pigorsky. On combating racism, David W. Pigorsky was a sociologist teacher back in the 40s. In uh, 1948, he penned that piece. But he was working at, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Princeton at the time. He was a professor of sociology. But uh, he was writing uh, uh, that piece. You remember, this was coming out of World War II when the United Nations was all up in arms about uh, racism uh, as it related to the Jews, uh, Jews in Germany who had got uh, slaughtered on a large number of, uh, to a great extent over in World War II under Hitler. Uh, we find a lot of those same uh, uh, problems here uh, under uh, democracy. Some of the same groups and murder groups in this country were suffering and had suffered hundreds of years under uh, uh, some of the separately equal uh, laws that saw countless of, uh, of American citizens. Uh, Kill, uh, kill. Oh yeah, a lot of, lot of uh, American elections sent back under that ridiculous law without, uh, uh, without little or no uh, justice uh, on uh, their behalf. The lynchings, the uh, bombings, uh, 
all kinds of craziness went on after that Civil War, you know, for the next hundred and some years. Uh, through the 1960s, uh, we were still combating racism uh, in its ugly uh, tenants here in this country. Uh, legal in a lot of places there, but just uh, something that uh, existed in uh, the minds of uh, uh, the people within the societies. This was legal law on the books where blacks was prohibited from buying real estate. From occupying uh, certain uh, jobs, from uh, access to federal property, you know, laws on the on on government uh, in government constitutions here in this country. Huh? This wasn't just uh, uh, some figment of somebody's imagination. Somebody called out of a racist, and uh, I don't like you because you're different. This or that. These are laws on the books of the state of Georgia right here in my state uh, where I couldn't buy the property that I live on today because there were uh, restrictions on selling of this property to uh, American Raffles. That held us back, yeah. That held uh, Americans back from uh, progressing uh, up the uh, up that uh, economic uh, ladder in a serious, serious way. They really had that income inequality and wonder how did that happen? It happened because uh, uh, we were legally discriminated against. That's how it happened. Yeah, I ain't looking at nothing. You know, don't tell me about my initiative and I'm too lazy to do this and that. When you had, this country had, this state had laws uh, preventing me from uh, moving ahead, period. And that's why I'm so uh, set on uh, reparation and call for reparation in my writing. Mary Athens said I owed reparations for uh, the injuries suffered under the separate equal laws. They are owed reparations for injuries suffered under the separate equal laws in this country. Yeah, but, you know, don't, don't tell me about no income inequality and how lazy I am. When your laws prevented me from uh, equal access, period. Hey, y'all. Uh, it's about 801 in the ATL. We're going to take another quick pause for the calls. We'll be back on the other side. Uh, y'all, I need to get me virtual. Advocating on your behalf, you're listening to the Hushmo Black Forum. Tell your friends about us. Saturdays, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Right here in cyberspace.
into the home stretch here, second hour. We come to you live and live in color every Saturday from 7 to 9 out here on Ball Talk. Yeah. We've been out here now since, wow, going on eight years. It's been over eight years since 2008, so we've been out there eight years. Uh, on Ball Talk, we really enjoy uh, this medium. Just for uh, getting our messages out, we don't have everything fancy. We ain't got no fancy uh, operations here. We low, low key, low budget, low everything, except energy. We have energy. <laughs> we definitely operate on a low budget. We just uh, we low energy, but uh, we low budget. We high energy, but. Uh, we love this long talk radio uh, format. Again, the message out, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. You got anything to say, I recommend it. You can't beat it for getting your message out. Huh? I want to read you something here. Uh, I found it was um, uh, What? Let's see. There's something else from this article that uh, I've gathered in my uh, in my book. Uh, On racism and hate, y'all. First place I came across it was in this book. This uh, it's a uh, article written. An article written by W. E. B. Du Bois. Let's see if we can find it real quick. Like that, I want to share it with you. Uh, so. Uh, Way back then, uh, I want to share it with you. You know, can't nobody. It is the evening boys, the greatest sociologists that we've had in this country. One of the greatest sociologists that the country's ever produced, W.E.B. Du Bois. My favorite uh, sociologist by far. 
wrote an article for the Crisis Magazine, the NAC's uh, magazine back in 1947, Three Centuries of Discrimination Against the Negro. Well, the main title of the article, well, the docu- uh, documentary that he had wrote, he uh, pulled an excerpt out of it to represent two of the United Nations, who was a newly formed uh, organization coming out of World War II. Uh, uh, he was going to present, present this article telling the United Nations. You can find this in my book, Racism and Hate in American Reality. I got permission to reprint it from the NAACP. Uh, it's hard to find. You know, W.E.B. Du Bois was a prolific writer, y'all. You, you got to check, check him out if you're not familiar with him. But this is a, uh, this is a, uh, a document he wrote for the NAACP present to the United Nations on behalf of Americans of Africa back in 1947. And I quote, There were in the United States of America in 1940 12 million native-born citizens, something less than a tenth of the nation, who form largely segregated castes with restricted legal rights and many illegal disabilities. They are descendants of the Africans brought to America during the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries and reduced to slave labor. This group has no complete biological unity, but varies in color from white to black and comprises a great variety of physical characteristics, since many are the offsprings of white European Americans as well as of Africans and American Indians. There are a large number of white Americans who also descend from Negroes, but who are not counted in this colored group were subjected to the castrations because the preponderance of white blood conceals their descent. The so-called American Negro group, therefore, while it is in no sense absolutely set off physically from its fellow Americans, has nevertheless a strong hereditary cultural unity born of slavery, of common suffering, prolonged prescription, and curtailment of political and civil rights, and especially because of economic and social disabilities. Largely from this fact have arisen their cultural gifts to America, their rhythm, music, folk song, their religious faith and customs. Their contribution to American art, literature, their defense of their country in every war, on land, sea, and in the air, and especially the hard, continuous toll upon which the the prosperity and wealth of this continent has largely been built. 
The group has long been internally divided by the lemma as to whether the striving network should be aimed at strengthening its intercultural group bond, both for intrinsic progress and for offensive power against caste, or whether it should seek to escape wherever and however possible into the surrounding American culture. Decisions in this matter has been largely determined by outer compulsion rather than inner plan. For prolonged policies of segregation and discrimination have involuntarily welded the mass almost into a nation within a nation with its own schools, churches, hospitals, newspapers, and many business enterprises. The result has been to make American Negroes to a wide provincial, provincial, introvert, and self-conscious and narrowly race-loyal. But it, uh, but it has also inspired them to frantic and often successful efforts to achieve, to deserve, to show the world their capacity to share modern civilization. As a result, there is almost no area of American civilization in which the Negro has not made credible showing in the face of all in the in the face of all his handicaps. If, however, the effect of the color caste system on the North American Negro has been both good and bad. Its effects on white America has been disastrous. It has repeatedly led the greatest modern attempt at the democratic government to deny its political ideals, to falsify its philanthropy assertions, and to make its religions to a great extent hypocritical. A nation which boldly declared that all men are created equal proceeded to build its economy on shadow slavery. Masters who declared race mixture impossible sold their own children into slavery, the female Lato progeny, which neither law nor science can today disentangle. Churches which excuse slavery as calling the heathens to God refuse to recognize the freedom of converts or admit them to equal communion. Sectional strife over the profits of slave labor and conscientious revolt against making human beings real estate led to bloody civil war and to a partial emancipation of slaves, which nevertheless, even to this day, is not complete. Poverty, ignorance, disease, and crime have been forced on these unfortunate victims of greed to an extent far beyond any social necessity. In a great nation, which they ought to be in the forefront of the march peace and democracy finds itself continuously making 
common cause with race, hate, prejudice, exploitation, and oppression of the common man. Its high and noble words are turned against it because they are they are contradicted in every syllable by the treatment of the American Negro for 328 years. Slavery in America is a strange and contradictory story. It cannot be regarded as mainly either a theoretical problem of morals or a scientific problem of race. From either of these points of view, the rise of slavery in America is simply inexplicably inexplicable. Looking at the facts, frankly, slavery evidently was a matter of economics, a question of income and labor rather than a problem of right and wrong, or of the physical differences in men. Once slavery began to be the source of vast income for men and nations, there followed frantic search for moral and racial justification. Such excuses were found, and men did not inquire too carefully into either their logic or truth. The 20 Negroes brought to Virginia in 1619 were not the first who had landed on this continent for a century for a century small numbers of Negroes have been arriving as servants and laborers as free adventurers. The southwestern part of the present United States was first traversed by four explorers of whom one was an African and Negro. Negroes occupied early explorers like the 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 Alan, the Alan and Menendez in the southwestern United States, but just as the earlier black visitors to the West Indies were servants and adventurers, and then later began to appear as laborers on the sugar plantation. So in Virginia, these imported black laborers in 1619 and after came to be wanted for the raising of tobacco, which was the money crop. In the minds of early planters, there were no distinction as to labor, whether it was white or black. In law, there was at first no discrimination, but as imported white labor became scarcer and more protected by law, it became less profitable than Negro labor, which flooded the market markets because of European slave traders, internal strife in Africa, and because of and because in America the Negroes were increasingly stripped of legal defense. For these reasons, America America became a land of black slavery. And there arose first the fabulously rich sugar empire, then the cotton kingdom, and finally colonial imperialism. 
Then came the inevitable fight between free labor and democracy. On the one hand, enslaved labor with a huge profit on the other. Black slaves were the spearhead of this fight. They were the first in America to stage the sit-down strike, to slow up and sabotage the work of the plantation. They revolted time after time, and no matter what recorded history may say, the enacted laws against slave revolt are unanswerable testimony as to what these revolts meant all over America. The slaves themselves, especially imperiled, especially imperiled the whole slave system by escape from slavery. It was accused of the slave more than the slave revolts, which finally threatened investment and income and the organization for helping fugitive slaves through free northern Negroes and their white friends in the guise of an underground movement was of tremendous influence. Finally, it was the Negro soldier as a co-fighter with the whites for independence from the British economic empire, which began emancipation. The British bid for his help and the clock the colonials, the colonials against their first impulse had to be in return and virtually to promise the Negro soldier freedom after the Revolutionary War. It was for the protection of American Negro sailors as well as white that the War of 1812 was precipitated and that independence from England was accomplished freedom for the black laboring class and then French for whites and blacks was in sight. In the meantime, however, white labor had continued continued to regard the United States as the place of refuge, as a place for free land for continuous employment and high wage for for freedom of thought and faith. It was here, however, that employers intervened. Not because of any moral obliquity, but because the Industrial Revolution, based upon the crops raised by slave labor in the Caribbean and in the southern United States, was made possible by world trade and a new astonishing technique and finally was made triumphant by a vast transportation of slave labor through the British slave trade in the 18th and early 19th century. This new mass of slaves became competitors of white labor and brought white labor for refuge into the arms of employers whose interests were founded on slave labor. The doctrine of race inferiority was used to convince white labor that they had the right
to be free and to vote, while the Negroes must be slaves or depress the wage of whites. Western free soil became additional lure in conversation if it could be restricted to free labor. On the other hand, the fight <coughs> of the slaveholders against <coughs> democracy increased spirit of the wealth and power of the cotton kingdom. Through political power based on slaves, they became the dominant political force in the United States. They were successful in expanding into Mexico and tried to penetrate the Caribbean. Finally, they demanded for slavery part of the free soil of the West. And because of this last excessive and, in fact, impossible effort, a civil war to preserve and extend slavery ensued. This fight, this fight for slave labor was echoed in law. The free Negro was systematically discouraged, disenfranchised, and reduced to serfdom. He became, by law, the easy victim of kidnapper and liable to treatment as a fugitive slave. The church, influenced by wealth and respectability, was predominantly on the side of the slave owner. And effort was made to make the degradation of the Negro as a race final by Supreme Court decision. But from the beginning, the outcome of the Civil War was inevitable, and this not mainly on account of the predominant wealth and power of the North, it was because of the clear fact that the Southern slave economy was built on black labor. If at any time the slave or any large part of them as workers ceased to support the South and and if even more decisively as fighters they joined the North, there was no way in the world for the South to win. Just as soon as then just as soon then as slaves became spies for the invading northern army laborers for their camps and fortification, and finally produced 200,000 trained and efficient soldiers with arms in their hands and with the possibility of a million more, the faith of the slave south was sealed. Victory, however, brought dilemma. If victory meant full economic freedom and labor in the south, White and blacks, if it meant if it meant land and education and eventually votes, then the slave empire was doomed. And the profits of the northern industry built on the Southern Slave Foundation would also be seriously curtailed. Northern industry had a state in the cotton kingdom and in the cheap slave labor that supported it. 
It had expanded for war industries during the fighting, was encouraged by government subsidy, and eventually was protected by a large tariff ramp pool. When war profits declined, there was still a prospect of tremendous post-war profits on kind and other products of southern agriculture. Therefore, what the Northern wanted was not freedom and higher wages for black labor, but its control under such forms of law as would keep it cheap and also stop its open competition with Northern labor. The moral protest of abolitionists must be appeased, but profitably profitable industry was determined to control wages and government. This is a document y'all written in 1947 for the NAACP Crisis Magazine by W.E.B. Du Bois and highlighting the conditions of America's black Center at that time in the United States immediately following World War II. I'll continue. The result was an attempt at reconstruction in which black labor established schools, tried to divide up the land and put a new social legislation in force. On the other hand, the power of seven landowners soon joined with northern industry to disenfranchise the Negro, keep him from access to free land or to capital. This is everything. Now, this is going on right after World War II. This is, he's talking about right after, right after the Civil War. The result was an attempt at reconstruction. This is right after the Civil War. W. Du Bois is talking about and uh, critiquing uh, the, the history of the country uh, and black people. The result was an attempt at reconstruction in which black labor established schools, tried to divide up land, and put a new social legislation in force. On the other hand, the power of southern landowners soon joined with northern industry to disenfranchise the Negro, keep him from access to free land or to capital, and to build up the present caste system for blacks founded on color discrimination, peonage, intimidation, and mob violence. This was W.E.B. Du Bois back in 1947 talking about uh, Black's uh, uh, journey up to that point after the Civil War and how they were de- uh, disenfranchised uh, by Southern landowners joining forces with Northern industrialists. It is this fact that underlies many other contradictions in the social and political development of the United States since the Civil War. Despite our resources and our miraculous techniques, despite comparatively high wages paid many of our workers in that consequent high standard of living, we are nevertheless ruled by wealth 
monopoly in big business organizations to an astounding degree. Our railroad transportation is built upon monumental economic injustice, both to passengers, shippers, and to different sections of the land. The monopoly of land and natural resources throughout the United States, both in cities and in farming districts, is a disgraceful aftermath of the vast land heritage with which this nation started. Let me read this again. The monopoly of land and natural resources throughout the United States, both in cities and in farming districts, is a disgraceful aftermath to the vast land heritage with which this nation started. In 1876, the democratic process of government was crippled throughout the whole nation. This came about not simply through the disenfranchisement of Negroes, but through the fact that the political power of the disenfranchised Negroes and of a large number of equally disenfranchised whites was preserved as the basis of political power. Wielding of that power was left in the hands and under the control of the successors to the planter dynasty in the South. Let us examine these facts more carefully. The United States has always professed to be a democracy. She has never wholly attained her ideal, but slowly she has approached it. The privilege of Voting has, in turn, been widened by abolishing limitations of birth, religion, and lack of property. After the, after the Civil War, which abolished slavery, the nation, in grateful in gratitude to the black soldiers and laborers who helped win that war, sought to admit to the suffrage of all persons without distinction of race, color, or previous conditions of servitude. They were warned by the great leaders of abolition, like Sumner, Stevens, and Douglas, that this could only be effective if the free men were given schools, land, and some minimum of capital. A free man's bureau was furnished a free man's bureau to furnish these prerequisites, prerequisites, prerequisites to effective to effective citizenship was planned and put into partial operation. But Congress and the nation, weary of the cost of war and eager to get back to profitable industry, refused the necessary funds. The effort died, but in order to restore friendly civil government in the South, the enfranchised freemen, 75% illiterate, without land or tools, was thrown into competitive industry with a ballot in its hand. A Herculean effort helped by philanthropists, 
philanthropy and his own hard work, the Negro built a school system, bought land, incorporated, and started a new economic order in the South. In a generation, he had reduced his illiteracy by half and had become a wage-earning laborer in sharecropper. He still was handicapped by poverty, disease, crime, but nevertheless, the rise of the American Negro from slavery in 1860 to freedom in 1880 has few parallels in modern history. However, opposition to any democracy, which included the Negro race on any terms, was so strong in the former slaveholding South and found so much sympathy in large parts of the West, rest of the nation, that despite notable improvements in the condition of the Negro by every standard of social measurement, the effort to deprive Negroes of the right to vote succeeded. At first, he was driven from the polls in the South by mobs and violence, and then he was openly cheated, finally by a gentleman's agreement with the North. The Negro was disenfranchised in the South by a series of laws, methods of discrimination, court decisions, and general public policy, so that today, three-fourths of the Negro population of the nation is deprived of the right to vote by open and declared policy. So 1947, y'all, I'm reading uh, uh, a critique of uh, black history here uh, in the country, in the United States, uh, done by uh, one of the most famous sociologists uh, this country has ever produced, W.E.B. Du Bois. He uh, did this particular critique for and had intended uh, presented to the United Nations. He did it on behalf of the uh, NAACP Crisis Magazine. Uh, continue. Most persons seem to regard this as simply unfortunate for Negroes as depriving as depriving a modern working class of the minimum rights for self-protection and opportunity for progress. This is true, as has been shown in poor educational opportunities, discrimination in work, health, protection, and in the courts. But the situation is far more serious than this. The, the, dis, the disenfranchisement of the American Negro makes the functioning of all democracies in the nation difficult. And as democracy fails to function in the leading democracy in the world, it fails in the world. This paradox contradiction this paradox and contradiction enters into our actions, thoughts, and plans. After the First World War, we were alienated from the proposed League of Nations because of sympathy for imperialism. And because of race antipathy to Japan, and because we objected to the compulsory protection of minorities in Europe, which might lead to similar demands upon the United States, we joined Great Britain 
and determined refusal to recognize equality of races and nations. Our tendency was toward isolation until we saw a chance to make inflated profits from the want which came upon the world. This effort of America to make profit out of the disaster in Europe was one of the causes of the depression of the 30s. But today, the paradox again means after the Second World War, we have recruitants of race. We have recruitants of race, hate, and caste restrictions in the United States. And of these dangerous tendencies, not simply for the United States itself, but for all nations, when will nations learn that their enemies are quite as often within their own countries as without? It is not Russia that threatens the United States so much as Mississippi, not Stalin and Molotov, but Bimbo and Rankin. Internal injustice done to one's brothers is far more dangerous than the aggression of strangers from abroad. Hey, y'all, uh, that, that's some heavy stuff. That's some heavy stuff there. Finally, it must be stressed that the discrimination of which we complain is not simply discrimination against poverty and ignorance, which the world by long customers used to, used to see, the discrimination practice in the United States is practiced against American Negroes in spite of wealth, training, and character. One of the contributors of this statement happens to be a white man, but the other three and the editor himself are subject to Jim Crow laws, <clears throat> to denials of the right to vote, to unequal chance to earn a living, of the right to enter many places of public entertainment supported by their taxes. In other words, our complaint is mainly against a discrimination based mainly on color of skin. And it is this that we denounce as not only indefensible, but barbaric. That's W.E.B. Du Bois, y'all. Three centers of discrimination against the Negro. That piece was written in 1947, or at least extracted from a larger document that he had spent years putting together um, that he uh, he extrapolated out of this larger body of work, this uh, document uh, to uh, present to the United Nations in 1947. Uh, in fact, he did take it there to deliver to that body, but was stopped from delivering that uh, message uh, by by uh, the United States representative to the United Nations uh, back then. And so uh, he was never able to present that document to the full body. 
although ten nations, I believe, did uh, did read the document and uh, was epith- uh, epith- well sympathetic to uh, uh, his message. Just a great, great, powerful piece uh, written some 70 years ago that, uh, you know, show where the country was at that time. And, you know, and, and if you compare uh, what where blacks was in this country in 1947 when he penned this piece uh, and look at where we are today, you see some of the same, same uh, dilemmas that uh, we face. Racism, racism, uh, that thing, that evil uh, uh, human nature uh, existed then and still exists in a large number of Americans today. Uh, I, well, I say a large number. That may be an inaccurate statement. I'll correct it. A significant number of Americans of power uh, today still harbor racist tendencies and it's dangerous it's dangerous it brought us about uh it got the country to uh donald trump being just a heartbeat away from an election a narrow election away from that white house you know and donald trump i don't know if donald trump a racist or what but i know racists in this country are flooding to him in goes and that's dangerous that is so dangerous uh, uh, that uh, they would, uh, in spite of uh, this guy not being qualified to uh, hold a job, vote for him just because of their uh, belief that he's some kind of a racist and you don't put black folks back on the plantation. That's where we're at today in the country. Yeah? That's where we're at today. And it's dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous. It's not only dangerous, but crazy. That's why it's so important for each and every one of you to get out uh, and vote Tuesday. In Groves, don't don't ever stop voting. I don't care who's on the ballot. I don't care if there's a black president on the ballot or what. Get out and vote. I vote every election regardless. That's just too many people have, you know, fought and died for uh, our right to to uh, the ballot box. And uh, today, uh, we need to exercise that right more than ever. More than ever, we need to exercise that right today. (sighs) Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Hushmore Black Forum. My Facebook friends, what's up? How y'all doing? Uh, I'm sorry about you folks up there in Cleveland. Uh, The Indians... uh, did they part now? They 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 put up a great great fight in that World Series, and I'm proud of them. Y'all should be too. Uh, they they put up a gallant effort. I hope y'all throw some kind of little party for them because they deserve some kind of recognition. They deserve some recognition, y'all, for the effort they put up in that uh, World Series. I think really the best team, slightly better team, won. I think the Cubs were slightly better. They certainly had a, a slightly better lineup from one through nine or one through eight. So the Cubs were slightly better. Not much. 
not my style, my Indian friend. Uh, yeah, I came up uh, rooting for the Cleveland Indians. I remember Herb scoring. I remember Herb scoring. Larry Doby played play for him. Yeah, I don't want to date myself, but <laughs> y'all don't know. So I, I'd go back a long way with the Indians. But I can't help but to uh, uh, congratulate. Uh, I can't help but to congratulate uh, the Chicago Cubs. Anybody who waited 100, 108 years for a World Series win deserve uh, to win that thing. And they, they truly was the best team in baseball. They had the best record. They won 103 games this year. That, you know, they uh, had the best record in the game, but at the end of the day, I believe the best team did win. Hey, I'll tell a friend about us, the Hushville Black Forum. We come to you live and live in color over Blog Talk Radio every Saturday. Uh, go to my website, hushmoblack.com, and buy my new book, Racism and Hate and American Reality. It's a timely read. It uh, uh, deserves uh, your support. Now, I might be biased. <laughs> I might be slightly biased in that I think it deserves your uh, support. Racism and Hate and American Reality. Also, check uh, my first book out. The Water Boy, The Life and Trials of Jimmy C. Cameron. Uh, you, you can find both of them on my website, hushroblack.com, or wherever fine books are sold, amazon.com, or Barnes and Nobles. Go online and uh, Google. Uh, Racism and hate in American reality, you can find it. It's there. The easiest thing to do is go on my website. Uh, hey, y'all, it's about, boy, this evening is coming down to case to see y'all how, how time flies when you're having fun. Uh, come back. Come back next week and share with us. Uh, the aftermath of uh, the presidential election. We'll have a full recount of what transpired out here on the Hushmo Black Forum, your place for uh, constructive uh, constructive what? Not criticism. Constructive uh, deciphering of uh, some of the muckety-muck that's coming down at you. We decipher stuff out here on the on the Facebook Black Force what we do. We decipher stuff. Stuff going up and coming down. We break it down for you into uh labels terms. We break it down to street terms, yeah. We don't just know what it is, what it's about. And right now all kinds of stuff is coming at you that you might not uh, that you might not be able to figure out. Leave it to the Hushman. We'll uh, break it down for you. Right now, we're trying to get everybody out to vote Tuesday. 
Everybody needs to get out and vote too, Zia. If you don't vote and your candidate don't win, you ain't got nobody to blame but yourself. You'll have nobody to blame but yourself if you don't vote and your candidate don't win. If you vote and your candidate still don't win, then you can always voice your uh, complaint. You can always voice your complaint at that point. Go Falcons. My Atlanta Falcons is all this tough. We might, we might win the Super Bowl this year. We're going to catch up with Cleveland. We're going to get us one champion here. We're going to get us one champion. They don't play the Super Bowl in 2017, but it's 4 2016. We wind up winning that thing. We got the best offense in the game, y'all. I think we got the best offense in football right now. We put up 30, 40 points a game. I think we got the best offense in football. We certainly got the, uh, a ton of weapons on offense. We got five or six receivers that we can go to, two or three backs. I don't know. We, uh, I think we're going to the Super Bowl myself because I don't see nobody uh, standing up with us on offense. The Saints worry me more than anybody in our division, but if we keep winning, we ain't got to worry about the Saints or Carolina. We can split with both of them. We can split with both of them and win the rest of the games and not have to worry about it. You see what I'm saying? We can split with them and don't have to worry about and win the rest of our games, we ain't got to worry about nothing. They can't catch us. They cannot catch us, folks. I don't think they're going to be able to catch us uh, as it is. Not that we're going to beat both of them again. Cam Newton is crying the blue. Somebody ain't being protected. And he's not. they beating up on Cam like he stole something. Cam had to go and talk to the... He had to go talk to the commissioner. Cam Newton had to go in and talk to the commissioner because they ain't protecting that boy. He's taking a pounding. I don't understand why they letting him take a pounding like that. He said he's afraid of that. He don't know. He said he don't, he's not afraid. He said he don't feel safe. And who could blame him? Who could blame him the way he's taking a pounding out there? I feel you. I feel your pain, Ken. Ken will say you don't feel safe, y'all. That's a violent game, y'all. I believe that get bigger, faster, and stronger every year. They're getting bigger, faster, and stronger every year, y'all. I can see why you don't feel safe. I wouldn't either. I can see where you don't feel safe.
Yeah. I don't know, y'all. That's just about going to do it for the hush, bro. We're going to be right back next week, 11, 12, same time, same station. I do a blog talk, y'all, until then. We're out of here. Ciao. Y'all be good. The Hushmo Black Forum, advocated on your behalf by covering news and events affecting the African-American community. Check us out at the Hushmo Black Forum, www.blogtalkradio.com.